0: Man, we just finished up a series last week called "On Fire," and uh, have you ever had one of those times where you get a fire started, right, and you walk away, and all of a sudden everything just kind of the embers start going down a little bit, and you got to get back over there, right, and you start doing this and right and fanning the flame, and uh, that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. I had this kind of planned as a one-off, and quite frankly, about halfway through the series, I was like, "Oh man." We should have rolled this into the book and just had it as the last chapter of it. Really, how do I fan the flame? Once I've experienced some change from God, some things going on in me, and how do I go after continuing to fan that flame? That's what we're looking at today, all right? So do me a favor, turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. Uh, for those of you who got so used to taking notes in the books, there is notes in your bulletin if you didn't know that, and uh, make sure you take advantage of using those, all right? Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. All right, first point, first step in fanning the flame, I'm just going to use a little phrases that we used out of the On Fire series here. Uh, exalt, have heard that word before, right? And uh, so, what part, what part of exalt? Behold, exalt, behold. Uh, draw near to Jesus Christ. The phrasing in Hebrews 10 we're going to see is the draw near to Jesus Christ, all right? So we'll start here in verse uh, 10, or in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and in full assurance. Of faith, We'll just hold right there for a minute. It starts out here as he's talking, he's connecting back to some great theology and some great challenge. And now he's calling us to action. And he starts out in verse 19. Therefore, and when we see the therefore, we say, Amen. what's the therefore? Therefore, it's a connecting word and it's connecting back to what was going on prior to it. So actually, if you just go back. Uh, a few verses before it, you see a ton of statement about the awesomeness of who Christ is and all that's going on. Let's see if I can get my Bible to turn here. Don't you love it when pages stick together? And uh, if you go back to chapter 10, starting in verse 11... This is the statement about who Jesus Christ is. It starts out, and every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. This is an allusion back to Old Testament statement, the style of the priests and how they would interact for the people for their sin. And there would be these Levitical priests, right? That was the whole tribe, the Levite tribe. And their job as priests was to represent To kind of be that middle guy, if you will. And they would stand up for them, and they would first make sure they were cleansed, and then they would do some sacrificing of animals in order to cleanse those around them, the whole of the nation. This entire plan was all a type. Everybody say it's a type. You know what that means? So that's like a literary term, and it means we're looking forward for something else. This is meant to model something. This whole idea of a priest standing up and going through sacrifice and blood being required and somebody standing in your midst, and it's a type. It's meant to say there's something better coming. Hang on. Okay? It's a type for Jesus Christ. And it says here in verse 11, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin and so what was going on if this doesn't take away sin it was simply a call to faith in god almighty and saying i'm telling you there is something coming that will be taking away sin there will be hope and this blood of an animal this blood of a pigeon whatever it might be they were using based on their uh, poverty levels whatever it was they were using does not take away sin. There is a covering, not a removing. That's a huge deal. Everybody say, that's a big deal. and That's a big deal. And so these men, priests, standing up daily because the job never ended, the sin was not taken away, and so they needed to keep doing a work, continued daily to do the sacrificing, verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time A single sacrifice for sin, that's himself, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool at his feet. One sacrifice for all time. Back here we have Old Testament. We've got the priests daily, regularly, lamb's blood, some kind of animal's blood. Does not take away, but does some level of covering for. sort of a hang on, there's something better. Now we come over to this side. Jesus Christ comes. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Man, the, the Lamb's blood back here did nothing. This Lamb's blood does everything. We have hope in Jesus Christ once and for all. He does something that does not just cover in some way, but removes And as we put our faith and trust in Christ, we have hope in him. Please note it says, and he sat down. Everybody say that means it's done. and That means it's done. Notice it said in verse 11, the priests were standing daily. Christ is sitting down. Work accomplished. The cross and his shed blood. Him for me. Okay? Now we go back to verse 19. Therefore, you hearing it? Therefore, brothers, believers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Are you hearing the reference now to Jesus Christ and our hope in him? It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, confidence, this is a trusting, assuredness, This is standing strong. We have confidence. It's not, boy, I hope so, I wonder if. Right? We use the word hope and we crush the meaning nowadays. It's confidence. I will not be moved off of this. It says, brothers, we have confidence to enter the holy place. What is that? Well, that's again one of these Old Testament words. And as they went into the temple, it wasn't just the general hangout place. It wasn't moving inside a little bit where there was more of what was going on in kind of a synagogue-like effect. It wasn't even going inside the more holy. This was the holy of holies where only one of those priests who had purified himself would take this huge, heavy, tall, thick curtain and would move it apart and step inside and it would close behind him. And it was the one place where God revealed himself, manifest presence, where God would reveal himself there with that priest in the Holy of Holies, that man alone with God, and for a very short period of time. The goal was get in, get it handled, and get done and get out. Because who knows when a wrong thought or a wrong action comes across your mind, and all of a sudden you're standing in the presence of the Holy God uncovered. And so get in, cover for these people, and step out. And they would open the curtain, step in, and it would close behind, and they would represent for the nation. That's what was going on back here. Everybody say, that's a type. Pointing forward to Jesus Christ. And so now we look here at the type being revealed. It says, now we have the confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. We're not entering with the blood of a goat or a lamb anymore. We're entering with the blood of the capital L, Lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself. We are now entering the Holy, Holy of Holies, the place where God manifest expresses himself. And catch this now, that is not just some little location in one spot anymore. Now it's all over the world. And God Almighty revealing himself, even, yes, right here in this room, Man, holy of holies is wherever God chooses to reveal himself. Praise be to God, man. We have hope in him. Hear me. You can meet the God of the universe. And the priest going before you is not some man going before you. It's now Jesus Christ going before you. And it says here that holy of holies, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, That he opened for us, that Jesus opened for us through the curtain. Remember I told you the priest would separate the curtain, step in, and it would close behind. And he's like, just so you know, that curtain has now become basically Jesus Christ's flesh. And through his sacrifice, we now get to enter into the Holy of Holies. Present with God Almighty. If we have trust in him, if we have faith in him, if we count on him. Question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead? And are you trusting in him? Are you calling out to him and leaning on him and saying, Lord, your shed blood for me, hear me. The Holy of Holies is now being the curtain opened through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and you spending time in the manifest presence of God, something they could not imagine. It was a type back then. It is reality today. We have confidence as we enter because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It says in, "Since we have a great priest, everybody say that's Jesus, we have a great priest, and now it's Jesus Christ, the priest of old who stood there doing a work daily. Well, that was just a type. Everybody say it's a type. You're hearing that word a lot here, right? And so this priest of old was a type. Jesus Christ is our great high priest who now steps in on our behalf. His blood for us. It says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Let us draw near. And, uh, how often do we consider who God is, and so we shy away. How often do we grasp what he's doing and what he's calling us to, and we know we're not in a good spot, and instead of coming on behalf of Jesus Christ and his shed blood, Instead, we're wanting to come on our own behalf and so we try to move away until we can get things cleaned up. Everybody say, that's a bad plan. Dude, that is a bad plan. Let us draw near. Not because of what I've done, but because of who he is. That's my king. Him for me. And I'm stepping in, trusting confidently in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And uh, let us draw near. I just wrote these words down for draw. Uh, approach. Depend. Commit. And if you're going to draw near, those are some things you're going to be doing. You're going to be approaching your God. You're going to be depending on your God. You're going to be committing to your God. In fact, if we were going to put one of our words from it before, you're going to be, Behold him. Behold him. Spend time with your God, blown away with who he is, thanking him, praising him, celebrating him. Make much of your king. Behold him. That's what draw near means. It means get into the presence of him and celebrate him and thank him and appreciate him. All right? Draw near to your God based on the shed blood of Jesus Christ that you are confident removes the sin. Confident. That removes the sin. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance. I love that phrase. With a true heart in full assurance. And a true heart, honestly, humbly, worshipfully confessing. That's what it means to be true in heart. Honest and humble and worshipful and confessing as you come in. And how often do we approach God cocky, demanding, upset, proud? All right, God, I don't know what you're thinking about right now, but Lord, what are you doing? Will you please fix this now? And that is not coming in true heart. We aren't grasping who we are, and we certainly aren't grasping who he is. And uh, man, may we come in grasping that the greatness of the universe lies in him. And as we approach him, he is giving us that permission and privilege through his own sacrifice. And as we walk into the greatness of our God and we draw near to him, it is with a true heart, Lord, I am humbled by who I am. Maybe it's please forgive me, Lord. Maybe it's, I'm wrecked with my own sin, Lord. I'm setting this down now. And this is how messed up I am, God. I see myself is right and you're wrong. Draw near with a true heart. Hand it over to him for real. True heart, full assurance. Full assurance of what? Well, it says full assurance of faith. Man, no worries that there is complete coverage of you no worries that there's complete coverage your faith it's in jesus holiness it's in the value of him as lamb of god do you believe that jesus is perfect really answer that question to yourself do you believe that jesus is perfect perfect lamb spotless then his sacrifice covers every sin that you come in with. You are confident with full assurance that Jesus Christ has this under control. You humbly coming under him and him covering over you takes away the sin. And now you're standing in the presence of the Holy of Holies with awesome privilege. And you are his adopted child. You are the one he loves and he is lavishing it on. And uh, he says, draw near with a True heart with full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. I really wrestled with this phrase this week a ton. With our hearts sprinkled clean. With our hearts sprinkled clean. If you want some passages on that, uh, Exodus 29, verses 4 and 21. Exodus 29, verses 4 and 21. It talks about a sprinkling and a washing that's going on there. And if you want another one, Numbers 19, it talks about... um, being covered or sprinkled with the ashes of a heifer that has been burned in sacrifice to God, okay? There's this sprinkling and washing in the Old Testament. Everybody say it's a type. Okay, there's a lot of type going on in this passage, and we're seeing Old Testament as there's some kind of sprinkling going on meant to sort of show up purifying, and he's like, just so you know, man, you've been sprinkled now. You've been covered and uh, sprinkled clean. From an evil conscience. Hang on, I thought conscience was a good thing. What's up with that? And uh, I really wrestled with that this week. Conscience, let's give a little definition to it. Conscience, it's a God-given moral compass. You may want to write that down. God-given moral compass. It is. It's built into us, this conscience, a God-given moral compass that speaks out when we're wrong. Okay? Okay? A God given moral compass that speaks out when we're wrong. I'll say it one more time. A God given moral compass that speaks out when we're wrong. All right, so what makes it evil? And uh, well, hear me. When you and I choose to sin, when we walk away from God Almighty and we've had nothing to do with Him before salvation, there is a devastation of the heart that occurs, there is a massive impact to our soul. And our heart is affected through and through with sin. And uh, we are deeply affected. And hear me, the conscience which is inside your heart is affected as well. Your conscience is actually basically wounded deeply, darkened. In fact, he puts the word evil on it here. Conscience is evil. It doesn't get it, man. Your conscience is missing what's wrong. Maybe here's a good way to think about the conscience. Picture it like a stoplight. That's a conscience. It's supposed to go red light whenever something bad's coming up. Whoa, 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 red light on that one. Right? That's conscience. Sometimes it may go yellow light. Like, I don't know. I'm not getting a good feeling on this. Yellow. Right? And then there's other times where it's like, green light, bro. Everything's good. Green light on that. Right? That's conscience. Evil conscience. Supposed to be going red light. It's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Green light, baby, all clear, no problems here. That's an evil conscience, not getting what's wrong, right? First Timothy talks about it being seared, seared conscience. It means that you've actually burned the conscience with sin to the level of insensitivity, seared. Burned to the level of insensitivity. That's the evil conscience he's talking about. That's 1 Timothy 4.2 where he's talking about it being seared. That's one facet of evil. Is 1 Timothy 4, two in the searing. Here's another facet of the evil conscience. Are you ready? Self-accusing. Romans 2.15 talks about the conscience accusing. And, uh, have you ever had your conscience accusing you? What were you thinking about? Why in the world did you do that? Are you aware of how horrible that was? What are, again, I bring this up to you. What are you doing? Right, that's conscience. And here's the problem with conscience. You may even go and get it right. Hey, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? And you get things resolved. You go to your God. God, please forgive me. Here's conscience. I cannot believe that you did that. That's an evil conscience challenging against us even when we've already gotten things right because it's strictly looking at, did you do it right or did you do it wrong? There is a level of self-accusing that comes with the conscience. It is a built-in piece of us. And hear me, if we're not careful and if we only listen to conscience, we start driving towards self-righteousness. The words of the conscience are, dude, get it right. And that's the only words the conscience has. Get it right. It's a big deal, man. And it really starts speaking to us. There is nothing wrong with the conscience seeing sin and calling it out. Unfortunately, our conscience doesn't see sin as sin a lot of times. Right? That's one piece of the problem. And the other part of the problem is once we are trying to resolve it with God, conscience is still on the, you weren't perfect. What's with that? And the conscience starts whispering in. Here's good news. Conscience. The conscience can be purified. Hebrews 9.14 talks about the purifying of the conscience. The conscience can be purified. And as you spend time with your Holy Spirit and he's literally transforming your heart, part of what he's transforming is your conscience. He's literally waking you up where green lights start turning to yellows and reds. You hearing me? Where you start seeing sin as sin. Where you also start grasping that sin covered by Christ is covered by Christ. And all of God's people said. And a healing starts to happen in the conscience. And we need to long for that healing. That purifying. And unfortunately a lot of times we start building our religion. Our walk with God, if you will. Based on conscience instead of based on the spirit. And so I just wrote down a few phrases. You may want to jot some of these down. This was a huge week for me learning about conscience. Are you ready? Here we go. Religion based on. Religion based on the conscience points to sin. Religion based on the spirit points past sin to Savior. Religion based on the conscience points to sin. Religion based on the spirit points past sin to Savior. This is a huge deal. Man, conscience alone will just say, dude, you were so wrong. That was sin. What's up with that? Get that clean. What in the world? You can't ever fix that, right? That's conscience, Holy Spirit. Yes, that went wrong. Yes, that was sin. But the Holy Spirit also now turns forward, not just pointing backward, but now forward and says, But Jesus Christ at the cross with hope. And healing, there is future. You are covered with confidence and assurance. Come, draw near. That's the ministry of the Spirit. The ministry of the conscience, sin. The ministry of the Spirit, yes. But look what we can have in Christ. Let's keep going here. Religion based on conscience leads to self-righteousness. Religion based on the Spirit leads to confession. Religion based on conscience will lead to self-righteousness. How many do you know who are wrestling trying to get right with Christ and they keep doing it by trying to do good things? And that is a conscience-driven attempt at getting right with Christ. And I hear them. They've got some voice inside screaming, it was so wrong. But they're missing the whisper of the Holy Spirit saying, yes, looking backward and seeing the sin, great to confess. But we must look forward. There is hope in our Savior, come to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit puts glory in Christ, not glory in looking backwards at sin. And all of God's people said, and we better get that, right? Conscience points to sin. Spirit points to past sin, to Savior. Conscience leads to self-righteousness. Spirit leads to confession. Here's another one. Conscience never forgets sin. Spirit covers sin through Christ. Conscience never forgets sin. Two decades later, conscience, how could you have made that decision? Why did you go there? Are you wrecked with one of those right now in your life? Maybe it's a word you said to someone you wish you had never said that a train wrecked the relationship. Maybe it's an action that went down that you so regret. And you constantly have the conscience banging in the back of your head saying, what were you thinking? Hear me. Spirit's got more to say on that. As he now points forward and says, but you can come with full assurance. That sin removed. Hope in Jesus Christ. Draw near. The message of the Holy Spirit, right? Conscience never forgets sin. Spirit covers sin through Christ. Here's another one. Conscience leads to despair. Man, when you do a conscience-based ministry, religion based on conscience, I'm telling you, it drives people to despair. There's a lot of churches out there that they stand up, and the one thing they want to do is just pummel with backward-looking, self-evaluative, sin call-out. The end. Period. Have a good week. And I'm just telling you, while that is motivating at some level to try to find some solution, it will most often drive to self-righteousness or to asceticism. You know what that is, right? Beating self, self self-abasement, like taking things away from me to try to make it get better. It's some kind of penance I'll do. And conscience will constantly lead to trying to handle it by self. Man, we do talk to sin and we do call it out. We do need to look back, and we do need to confess, but we need to look forward to the cross. And all of God's people said, man, conscience, it's evil if it's our only ministerial effort. I'm telling you, it'll train wreck you if all you do is listen to conscience. It'll drive you to self and self-righteousness. Be careful with that. And uh, last one, conscience leads to isolation, spirit leads to presence with the Almighty. Conscience leads to isolation. Spirit leads to presence with the Almighty. Draw near. Hear me? Draw near. It leads us to presence with the Almighty. This is a huge deal. A ministry driven by conscience will constantly call for man-centered effort. A ministry driven by the Spirit will constantly call for it to be dependent upon Christ. Okay? May we constantly be A ministry driven by the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going after. Let's draw near. It says right after it, bodies washed with pure water, clean before God, man. That's what we have. All right. Have you ever noticed how tone of voice matters so much? Have you ever noticed that? So like uh, we've got a little dog, Toby. He's about this big. And uh, he's just one happy dog. And he's just constantly running in circles, and his tail is going, and he's always got his tongue half hanging out as he's running around and meeting people, and, and uh, loves just greeting everybody. And uh, if I walk in the room, and I'm like, hey, Toby, what's up, man? He'll just come running around and do circles and do, run around, and I can pick him up and pet him and loves greeting people. If I walk in, and I go, Toby, what's up, man? <laughs> See, everything just kind of settle. The ears drop a little. He kind of moves to the side like, what's going on in here? What did I maybe do? Right? One of those. What tone of voice do you hear from your God talking to you? Do you hear this deeply accusing, attacking, yelling voice at you? Or do you hear the soft, tender whisper of the Holy Spirit saying, yes, we need to get done with that sin? But man, do we have the fix. It is time for Jesus Christ to be lifted up in your life. Are you hearing the confidence and full assurance and the love of your God as he's calling you to draw near? Or are you hearing the accusing? Maybe it's of your own conscience. Screaming, you've got to get that fixed. And maybe it's time to set down. I want to be careful when I say this, but Maybe it's time to set down the, I'm just going to do what my conscience says. And it's time to start saying, what does the spirit say? Because he's speaking so much more than what conscience says. Conscience is strictly an accusation. Spirit is conviction. Okay? Are you ready to hear? Are you ready to hear your Holy Spirit? He's got a tone of voice, man, that's a soft whisper and a ton of love. If you're hearing otherwise, you're hearing something else. Maybe it's your conscience. I'll just even say this. Notice one other thing that accuses in our life is Satan himself. His, word, his name means accuser, right? We're called devil. We've got this adversary, this accuser in Satan. And, and bottom line is, be careful. Your conscience could be doing the work of Satan himself and accusing you and leaving you stuck in your sin. The Holy Spirit's got a solution and our, our hope is in Jesus Christ and his shed blood. And all of God's people said, Are you trusting in him? What tone of voice are you hearing? Point number two, exalt. Exalt. Be still. So here's that phrase again. Be still. Do not waver in your hope in your loving God. Do not waver in your hope in your loving God. This here in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Uh, Hold fast, it means to cling to. And uh, everybody just do this, will you? Just take your hand and raise it up in the air, okay? Now make a fist and clench as tight as you can. I mean, squeeze it hard. Feel it. Can you feel your fingers pushing into your palm? Squeeze it hard, hold it. Now let go, okay? Can you feel the difference between a clinging and a holding fast and a holding loosely? Right, all too often, we're walking around, and we're kind of like holding real loose like this. And he's like, hold fast, man. You grip tight. This kind of hold fast unto the hope that you can have in Jesus Christ. Unwavering, it says, this hope that we can have in him. And um, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hold fast. This is like the rock mountain climber, the rock climber who's on the edge of the cliff and everything below him is nothing but a thousand foot fall, cling to the rock like that. Cling to your hope. And uh, hope, I just wrote this word for hope absolute certainty. Right, we talked about this a lot around here, right? Hope in America today. It's like, oh, I hope so. That means like, I have no idea. I give it at best a 50-50 shot. We'll see. This is not that kind of hope. Everybody say, not that kind. Right? Hope. I am confident. I am stepping in with him knowing he has it. My God has this in hand. Confidence. A hope that your God is going to do as he says. I just wrote these words. Hope that Jesus' blood is forever covering my sin. Hope. Hope. That Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Alive. Hope that there is eternal life. Hope that he has it all in hand. Man, I hope in him. I am longing in him. Unwavering. I'm not releasing. I'm never letting my hand release. I'm hoping. Always. My God's got this. Praise be the king. And one of the greatest symbols in the Christian walk can be this. Hope. I am holding fast to the confession of my hope without wavering. My request is that you long to be this in your walk. Long to be that. May God be glorified. Okay? says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. This is not based on you. This is based on him. He is faithful. He will accomplish it. Trust in him. Your God has this. uh, As he has claimed he's got it, trust him and allow him to have it. And whatever it is you're going through, Whatever circumstance has you devastated, whatever sin you wished hadn't happened, know this. Listen to the whisper of the Spirit. Turn forward. Draw near. God's got it in hand. Let him cover, let him remove sin. And all of God's people said this past week we were uh, back out in Arizona. We were in Arizona two weeks ago for a senior pastor's retreat in Phoenix. This week we were in Arizona in Mesa for a, a wedding. Uh, my nephew, actually Jana's nephew, and so my nephew by marriage, was getting married out there. He's actually uh, in the Army, and he's going to be uh, transferred out to South Korea soon, uh, flying helicopters. And so they needed to move the wedding up. It was going to be this summer, and so they moved it up to uh, last week here. So we ended up flying out to... Arizona twice, back to back. We went out there. It was in the 80s. We thought we'd bring a little warm weather back for you. So there you go. A little bit of 60s for you. I hope that feels good. And uh, somehow this works out that every time we come back, it's warm here. Maybe we should just keep going out there once a week. I don't know. Uh, That'll be a nice way to handle the spring for y'all, right? So we've enjoyed it out there. And I'll tell you, we were out there in Mesa with family. And uh, as I stood before them, I was officiating the wedding and uh, as I was doing the wedding there and uh, they're standing hand in hand, holding hands and talking to each other in the midst of giving vows, man, they were longing for this day. There was such preparation that had come. They're both very sweet, uh, tender-hearted people. And, and as I was reading through the vows that were based on Ephesians 5 and uh, Neil had started out as he was giving his vows and uh, he teared up about halfway through, that just crushes me, then I tear up. He's like all teared up, and he's like telling her, I love you. And I thank God for you. And uh, man, as he's tendered up for her, and then she goes all tender, and now I'm toast. <laughs> so we turn to her, and, and then she does her vows, and same thing. She tears up, and uh, they're sharing back and forth of they cannot wait for right now. There has been hope, and we cannot wait to get married, and this whole thing with all the changes coming, and it's going to mean moving to another country, and man, we are together, and they've walked through this process. We had the chance to even do their premarital through Skype. That was fun, and uh, being able to Skype back and forth and hear from them and see them work through relationship together, and I'm telling you, they longed for and couldn't wait for that day and were teared up as they were there, Hope. As Neil's looking at his bride. Hear me now. You are the bride of Christ. And you are standing. With your king. And he is saying these words. Draw near to me. I love you. And I thank my father for you. And I will sacrifice anything for you. You are mine. And I will. Love you. I love you. There is no sin that can keep you away from me. I love you. Trust in me. I will cover it. Come to me. I will pay for that and cover that and it is removed forever. Come. Trust. Now. You've got the chance, man. Where your God is saying, draw near to me. I love you. With the tenderest call out and the most sacrificial provision, your God is saying, draw near and hold fast with confidence. uh, Man, it is too easy for us to lose sight as we go. And uh, I'll just say this. Top three reasons we lose a grip. Top three reasons we lose our grip. Number one, uh, we get disheartened. We have expectations and they didn't get met. I thought God would do this and he didn't. I thought God would prevent that and he didn't. We get disheartened. And that disheartening can change everything where we loosen our grip. Be careful. Make sure your expectations don't come above what Scripture promises. All right? Disheartened, it can loosen our grip. Number two, distracted. And uh, this isn't necessarily a planned willful. We're just in the midst of life and living it, and we start enjoying something or someone or whatever, and all of a sudden a possession, an experience, a something starts taking more priority than God himself. And all of a sudden, we start loosening the grip, and we stop holding fast. Disheartened, distracted, and third, defiant. I want what I want. I can't believe you wouldn't do that or give that. I'm going to take that. And a defiant. This is where we choose to willfully go against God, knowing ahead of time it is completely sin, and we don't care. We want what we want. And, uh. Disheartened, distracted, defiant in the midst of Christ saying, I love you, and I'll sacrifice anything for you. Here's my question. Where do you stand with him? Are you holding fast? Are you clinging to that hope? Or are you disheartened or distracted or maybe even defiant? And now is the time to lay those down. It's just another one of those sins that can easily be covered. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lay it down. God's got it in hand, okay? Trust in him. Those are the two exalts, behold and be still. If we're gonna keep fanning the flame, you're gonna need to keep exalting. And then third, engage personally and corporately. And this is the piece I would have loved to have added in and had as another part of it. Personally and corporately, it is utterly essential that we rally as a body. So rally together and encourage one another to express your faith in action. Rally together and encourage one another to express your faith in action. It says, and let us consider, that means reason through this and come to a good conclusion. Let us consider how to stir, just so you know, That word stir is not a nice word. In the original language, it literally is a word that gets translated often as exasperate. Press firmly, regularly. It's like, don't let up, man. Keep encouraging one another in the following thing. And let us consider stirring one another up to love and good works. To love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. To love. God is love. As you draw near to the one who is, you will naturally love also. Love and good works. Man, I'm telling you, he is not doing a work in you so that nothing comes out. That's not happening. He's doing a change in you so that what spills out is worship to him. Good works all over the place. Love like crazy and hear me. Not one of those things earns salvation. Not one of those things keeps salvation. But every one of those things proves salvation is taking place right in front of your eyes. God having a work in you. And as you go after love and good works, make sure it's God working in you and it's spilling out because of it. We're encouraging one another along the way. It says... Here, uh, to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Yep, they didn't go to church back then either. People blowing off church all over the place. The writer of Hebrews is like, don't neglect going to church as is in the habit of some. Right? People are like, ah, I go once every eight or ten weeks, and so I got it covered. And uh, he's like, don't do that. More often, more regular. Why? I'll tell you why. Because in this place, God is moving. We're going after a 1 Corinthians 14 ministry in this place. If you ever want to know what we're talking about with it, look up verses 22 to 25. I won't go through it here other than to say this. Our plan is this. May the word of God be lifted up. May we put him center stage. May we lay out our heart before him and have him take over. And all of a sudden, as we start launching song to him, did you notice how much our songs are about how awesome you are, God? We're not out there telling a story, we're singing to him. God, you are unbelievable. And as we're singing much of his greatness and then listening to his word and then coming back for response, the spirit pressing in in the midst and the Holy Spirit moving in here, we end up with people falling on their knees and saying, surely God is among us. And they start coming back more regularly. They accept Christ as Savior. We get growth taking place. Why should I not neglect the gathering together of the assembly? I'll tell you why. Because God's at work in this place, and all of God's people said, that's what we're going after, man, man, and come join us, come join us regularly, it's been going on for a couple thousand years, the whole, I got enough of church this month, or this, this quarter, and, and uh, let's do this together, let's rally together, and let's have God do a work in us that maybe never could have happened alone, it isn't just independent or individual, It's corporate. And that's what we put in the bullet here, right? That we would go after engaging corporately, that we would encourage one another and not neglect the meeting together as is the habit of son. It says here, encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Jesus Christ is coming again. When it says the day, it means the return of Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. We read back in chapter 10, verse 12, that he has sat down until the point where his enemies will be made his footstool. Jesus Christ will be returning. And I'm telling you, that day is coming when he will mount the white horse and all of those in heaven with will mount up and they will be celebrating with as they come thundering back in. Not one of them has a weapon, Jesus Christ alone. And it's his spoken word. It says a sword of his mouth. Jesus Christ in charge of this universe. The day is drawing near. Him in charge. Him for me. Him as king. May he be worshipped. He is the great one. He is the almighty one. He is the I am. May we lean on him and trust in him and let him work. Man, I'm telling you, all too often we go back to a conscience-driven ministry in our own life. Where we hear all of this and then we go home and we start listening to ourselves again. Am I good with that? Am I not good with that? Should I do that? Should I not do that? Maybe I should try this instead of that. What do I do to make up for the thing I just did that I wish I hadn't done, right? And we start living that life. Down with that life. Draw near. His name is Jesus Christ. He is your Savior. He died on the cross for your sins and he rose again. Man, if you have not trusted him as Savior, now is the time. Lock in hard. Lean on him as your king. If you're trusting him as savior, take each step with him having a work in you. Draw near. Exalt. Behold him. Drop your arms and be still before him. And engage out once God's doing a change in you and let him continue to go. And that's how we fan the flame. Corporately rallying together always, all of us heading for it, knowing the day is ever drawing nearer. Let's fan the flame on the fire in our soul that God may get all the glory. And all of God's people said, let's pray here.